Where the hell have you been, soldier? Training, sir! Training, sir! What kind of training, son? Pizza training, sir! Welcome to episode four of Drew and Sam Talk Training. I'm Sam from Fowser Consulting. And I'm Drew from Better Than Yesterday Consulting. We've got a great episode on tap for you today. We're going to talk about where we've been. We're going to talk about training. And today's topic is going to be all about inventory, that thing that you just love to hate. We'll talk about the book, 100 Percenters. And we will also introduce a brand new segment that I'm just thrilled to death about called Taken. We're fortunate enough to have yet another influential dominoid to give us some great insight on things they do to make their lives a little bit easier and make their results a whole lot better. We're going to wrap up today with a question from you. We'll talk about what's on our radar. Buckle up. It's going to be a great ride. So, Drew, tell us where you've been. Well, let's see, Sam. Uh, we mentioned it briefly on the last podcast because we had just kind of wrapped it up. I want to dive in a little bit more on this one about being in Indiana with Jim Groneman and his team. There was a familiar face in the audience. Yeah, yeah, there was. I saw you there. Oh, wait, you're talking about me. I, I was talking about you. It's been a while, Sam. When's the last time you and I taught class together? Eight, nine years? I, I think it was. We did that HPGM in Chicago and that trip started with me running over your luggage. Yeah, that's probably why I stopped traveling with you. It as a smart move. So in, in the class with Jim, I, I always start a class with, why are you here? What do you know about this week? And almost every class, somebody answers training or I was told to be here. I love that by the end of the three days, I've got folks who are in. They are not there for training. They are not there because they were told to be there. They're there because they see the value and they can put it into play. Sam, I know you and I teach in classroom and that classroom's a fabulous vacuum, right? Everything's always perfect in our classrooms. Yeah, there's never call-offs or business we didn't expect. So very real world, hint, hint, sarcasm. That was sarcasm. And yet when we go out into the stores, especially for mine, because I do two, three hours in classroom and then get out in the store, it's never ideal. It's never perfect. And it's great because they see what should be the end result in class. And then they can see how if we follow the process and we, we observe the system, it doesn't matter what comes up. We have a way to identify the issue. We have a way to deal with the situation. We have a way to get through the opportunity. Yeah. And I think the thing that I really liked is, you know, before I went on the trip, I had a chance to go through the material and look at the online resources that you've got that, by the way, are really, really good. I think where the materials and the online resources fall short is that you are looking at those things in a vacuum and none of your... None of your leaders or our listeners are ever living in a vacuum. So the real value to the in-person workshops is having you there or having me there so that when things start to go sideways, we can look at it and continually ask the question, are you following the process you just learned? Typically, the answer is no, I'm not because of this, this, or this. And when we get a little bit, gosh, what's the word you used or the phrase you used? When we turn into our benevolent dictator and we make them follow the process, they start to see the results. And I think that's the value of a good coach is they teach the process 
And then they, they follow up on the expectation that they set to do the process. And then the learner starts to see the benefit. I think that's the real value of what we do when we do in-person workshops. I had a blast with this one because we had that rare opportunity. For those of you that don't know about the Midwest, snowstorms happen. On the last day, it's only two and a half hours in class. And we have this impending juggernaut snowstorm coming, like literally an hour after the end of class. If you're listening in Minnesota right now, it was really a light dusting. That's a fair statement. Yeah. If you're living in Maine, light dusting. If you're Adam Lambert in the UP, light dusting. It allows us though to look at it and say, here's the system. We have this thing coming that we did not plan. How can we use it? And it was great because hindsight, the director there, Cole, was able to tell me, oh my gosh, my DMs that followed the process and listened to you performed twice as well as the supervisors and the DMs that didn't. You have 17 stores within an hour and a half of each other, and half of them were 50% up and ran service during the snowstorm, and the other half didn't. All because the leader either follows the process and system or allows what happens to run them instead. Yeah, it was crazy. And I think on our visits, you know, we had primary focuses of the visit, which is part of the better than yesterday system. And, you know, the visits with my team were all around labor. We'd go into stores. And you would ask the manager in charge, what was the question that you were constantly asking the manager in charge when we were seeing if we had enough drivers? And just, just remind me if you would. Oh, yeah. What's your busiest hour? And, and I don't know about your guys, but my guys struggled with that. And you had said in class a way to figure that out. Can you, can you remind me of that? I sure can, Sam. If you're a dominoes person, power has all the data in the world, so much that you might not know where to go for anything. My favorite report, the one that I go to for everything is day part stores. I change it from sales periods to hourly delivery. And it tells me everything I need to know about your store in one report very quickly. I can see at six o'clock on Friday night that it's your busiest hour by sales, by deliveries. And I can see what your load time is and your service and how many drivers you had on. So let me jump in there for just one second. If I'm a listener and I heard you say that report, but I've got no idea where it's at, say the name of the report again, where you find it. And uh, listeners, if you're out there and you're a new general manager, or even if you're an experienced general manager, and this is something you haven't heard of before, Go ahead and jot this down because you're about to uh, you're about to get some gold from from Drew Helmholtz. Keys, sales, day part stores, change the default setting from sales periods to hourly delivery, and then pick a day. I like Fridays because it tells me exactly what's going on in your store when you're at your busiest, when the stress is at its highest. Do you climb to the challenge or do you fold? So I get to see what's going on that Friday. And Sam, I can tell you from all my visits, when I ask a GM what their busiest hour is, if I've asked 30, I get 30 to tell me five o'clock. And I ask, when are your drivers? When do you have the most drivers on? Seven. Because that's when they're available. That's not when I need them, but that's when they're available. Drives me nuts. I have selected people who cannot work for my customers. So I am going to underservice my customers and I'm going to make my franchisee pay them to underservice my customers. It's brilliant. Yeah, brilliant indeed. That was sarcasm. 
So we're seeing that they're not scheduling people correctly. Were you seeing in stores the same thing that I was seeing that they were scheduled out at these very odd variables, I guess, R and L and other things. And, you know, I've been around the block once or twice, so I understood what they meant. But I think you were telling me in the car one day that Jackson, your son, has got a similar similar scheduling routine where he works. He does. He never has an actual out time. His in time is usually five o'clock and his out time is R. Now I've done this a long time. And although he's not in pizza directly, I generally know what this means. However, for him, he doesn't. So on Mondays, seven o'clock, seven ten, he's calling for a pickup. I get used to the seven ten, seven fifteen pickup time. Two Mondays ago, seven o'clock rolls by, seven thirty rolls by, eight o'clock rolls by. I'm like, wow, they must be busy. He finally calls for the pickup. I asked, wow, you guys must have gotten killed tonight. He's like, no, we weren't busy. The person I was working with, the manager in charge, didn't know what they were doing and didn't know how to tell me to go home. So I sat in the back waiting for an hour and a half to go home. I think we could probably solve a lot of problems if we just scheduled people for times are new AMs who don't know how to run the business yet because it's their second week as it was for this guy's case. If Jackson had been scheduled out at 7.15, he may have seen that and cut him at 7.15 as opposed to letting him hang around because he was worried. He was nervous. What I think I hear you saying is that you're a fan of out times on the schedule. I don't know how you run labor with an R, an L, and a C. But Drew, seriously, you must have not ever been in my store because the business comes and goes. It's erratic. I don't know what world they're living in, but you know, I tried to schedule out things once. It seemed like every time Bobby was scheduled out at 7, I had three runs on the rack at 7.05. And that's fine. Then you look at Bobby and say, Bobby, I know you're out at 7. Can you stay and make 15 more bucks? And if he says no, then he says no. And next time you make it 7.30. But to say, stay till whenever, make no plans because 7 may be 7 tonight and it may be 11 tonight. In this day and age, we don't have a staffing problem. We have a retention problem. And this, this is part of the cause of it. The team doesn't know how long they're going to be at work. They can't plan for bills. They can't plan for life. Let's schedule times and let's own up and actually manage the business as opposed to letting the business manage us. I think what I hear you saying is that you take your benevolent dictator and you put that on the shelf when there's out times and you turn it more into a what's in it for the driver. Because I've seen this technique used in stores. I saw a manager just last week look at a driver that was out at seven and it was 7.05 and there were runs on the rack and he looked at the driver and said, hey man, you got time to make an extra 10 bucks. And the driver's like, yeah. I got time to make an extra 10 bucks. And then in another store, I saw a manager say, hey, listen, there's three runs on the rack. There's no way I can get you out. And the driver was just like, but it's my out time. I mean, it was similar situations handled differently. And the outcomes were so much different. With everything going on in the world, with everything happening, the idea that we believe we can run labor by allowing folks to stay till it's busy or not busy. And, and I got to be honest, if you ask the ones that run the best labor, they're cutting on the, the start of the downhill, right? They're not letting the skier get all the way to the bottom. They're cutting them right after the top there. And I don't know how, if it's R, L, or C, that you're doing that. You're waiting till it's dead and everybody can kind of let their belt loose and relax and go, oh, we survived tonight. 
No, man, I'm, I'd much rather be in control of it and know what's going on and be able to look at you and say it's seven o'clock and sure we've got three runs up, but I know I've got four drivers coming back in 15 minutes. I'm going to cut you out right now. It's okay. That's good stuff. Let's keep our finger crossed that Cole and his team got that from the experience they had in Indiana. I'm pretty confident they did. I am too. Hey, but enough about me, Sam. Where have you been? Well, as you alluded to, I was also in Indiana. Uh, That was fantastic. Loved being there. Found it very difficult to sit in the back of the room and not say anything. Uh, I've been known to have the gift of gab. You know, I thought the stuff that you had put together was fantastic. The in-store stuff was, was gold. So I really enjoyed that. After I did that, I hopped in my car, uh, went down to see my good friend Lance Vosberg in Mount Vernon, Illinois. He has built just a spectacular freestanding store in his highest volume store in Centralia. Had the chance to help him move everything after we did just a crazy Super Bowl day and then got the new store opened up on Monday. The people of Centralia just were crazy about this new store. You talk about a store with bells and whistles. This one's got it all. So I spent my time doing that. It was fantastic. Made a made a bunch of pizzas, did some real-time coaching, which is my favorite. It's nothing prepared. It's nothing on a PowerPoint. It's not in a classroom. It's side-by-side with team members that are making bacon and taking every day and doing the real heavy lifting and giving them some valuable in in real time coaching. And that's that's my favorite thing to do. Be a need, fill a need. It's kind of nice. Exactly. That's that's a Disney movie, isn't it? Uh yeah. Robots. robots maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. nice. See a need, fill a yeah. need. Yeah. Very good. The only thing I remember from that movie. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So uh that wraps up where we've been. I think this is as good a time as any to take a break from one of our sponsors. Drew and Sam Talk Training presents the T3 Experience, April 5th through 7th in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Drew and Sam will deliver a three-day workshop that will give you the skills, knowledge, and confidence to deliver high-impact training to your teams. You'll have the opportunity to stand and deliver three separate times and receive honest, critical, and supportive feedback. Spots are extremely limited, so act now. Check the website for more detail at FouserConsult.com or email us at Sam at FouserConsulting.net. The T3 Experience, designed to bring out your best. And now, back to Episode 4. Sam, I'm so glad we are so lucky to have fabulous sponsors like the ones that have submitted ads to our fabulous podcast. And now if we could only get them to pay. Oh, we pay all the time, Sam. (laughs) Sam, you'd mentioned earlier that we want to talk about inventory. I love inventory. I find... Liar. I'm sorry? Liar. No, I do. I love inventory because... Because there's so many stores where, where we don't do it on a daily basis, where we run into problems because we, we haven't done the inventory needed to understand what we need. I don't know how we exist without inventory, Sam. Yeah. I, you know, people say they can have a hard time running food or their food orders were incorrect. And gang, it all starts with taking a proper inventory every night. And you just got to do it. You know, as much as I'd love to get into the nuts and bolts of doing inventory, I may have misled you in the beginning, Drew. No, Sam. 
no, no. Tell me, tell me it ain't so. It's so. When I'm talking about taking inventory, I'm not talking about counting dough and cheese and pepperoni. I mean, this podcast is Drew and Sam Talk Training. And to me, as much as I'd like every performance gap for the answer to be training, sometimes it's not. To figure out what the root cause of an issue is, a phrase that I coined a couple of months ago in a workshop is I believe you've got to be constantly taking inventory of your team members' skills and knowledge. If you don't have a clear idea of what they know and what they need to know, then you're going to be wasting your most valuable asset, which is your time, by doing the wrong things to try to get them up to speed. If somebody's making really poor pizzas, but the pizzas get really good the moment the evaluator steps in, there's a chance you don't have a training problem. It's a phrase that I heard Drew use in Indiana. What was that? uh, Will versus skill. So I think it's really important to take inventory constantly of what your team members are doing. And to me, the easiest way to take inventory is you've got to answer questions with questions. You've got to make sure that you understand the root cause of the problem. I was working in a store gosh, just last night. And the manager was the only resource of information, even though there were plenty of resources all around the store, on the walls, in the computers, in the big book of standards. But Sam, if I know everything and everyone has to come to me, it makes me invaluable. I can't be fired. I I have to stay here forever. Yeah, it makes you a pretty important cog in that wheel. I guess my question to that or my, my response to that, Drew, would be, you know, how many hours a week are, is your store open on a regular basis? 114. So what I hear you saying is that for your store to run properly, because you are the most important, because you are invaluable, because you want to put yourself in a place where you'll never get fired. Or replaced. Yeah, can't get fired or replaced. That you're going to have to be in the store 114 hours per week. Oh, no, no, no. See, I'm not. I'm only in like 80. But then every time I take a day off, I've got to take the next day to fix the store from the day I took off. So let's jump out of this little role play for just a second. Hey, Drew, if you had a dollar for every time you heard that, you guys would not have the opportunity to hire us for in-person training because we'd be on... I'd be in Cabo. I'd be on a golf course. So, you know, you got to take inventory of what your people know and what they don't know so that you can utilize your most precious asset, which is your time to correctly get your team moving in the right direction. Sam, along those lines, I I mentioned it and I know you heard it in the class. I, I had the privilege once to be in the car with Patrick Doyle, some old CEO guy from Domino's. Some of you may know him. And he, he and I were talking and he, his thought process was that jumping from manager to supervisor, district manager, area leader, whatever you call that role after manager was the hardest jump anywhere because of this, because as that GM sheer force of will, you can get stuff done in your store. And if you need to do an extra day and you need to do an extra 12 hours, it makes sense. As a supervisor, you're in that store for 3% of the time it's open. You've got to do it through influence, through training, through coaching. And if you haven't honed those skills as a GM, I I almost cry when I hear supervisors who are like, I haven't had a day off in seven weeks. My average day is 16 hours long. Last week, I did two 20-hour days. I want to cry because we've set you up to fail. Yeah. And if you're an assistant manager or manager listening to this and you're thinking, hey, listen, I only see my supervisor once a week, twice a week, four times a week, and they they don't do any work. I get that. I I totally get that. And you're thinking to yourself, well, so this doesn't, doesn't 
talk to me. It doesn't apply to my supervisor. But yet it does. If you're a general manager, you're in your store, hopefully less than 50% of the time that it's open. If you're an assistant manager, you're running the store when you're there. And you're like, well, it's not my responsibility when I'm not there. To some extent, that's true. But think about the shift you're running. If you haven't influenced your team members, can you make a great pizza and take a great order at the same time? Can you deliver a pizza at the door and be in the store at the same time? This whole notion of being an influencer to get the team to do better because they have resources to do their job and you're not the only resource works for every level of the Domino's Pizza system. Whether you're an hourly team member or you're a CEO, you've got to learn how to be an influencer. Well, take it to the next step too, right? Sam, you're talking about, you know, if you take the order and you make the order, can you deliver the order? Can you be that one man crew? Take it the the, the sl- slightly bigger picture, but not by a whole lot, right? If if I'm running that lunch shift and all I do is worry about my lunch shift and I only have enough prep for my lunch shift, what happens during the dinner rush? I leave at four o'clock and I leave the next guy to drown. We have to have that level of influence in everything. We've got to look at this as a team activity. We're all on the same team. We're all trying to move in that same direction. It's just nuts to me to see this this thought process of when I leave, I don't care. And we, we've seen that in really good stores because we haven't shown them that it's not about this moment and them as an individual. It's about the team, the team, the team, the team. Thank you, Bo Schembechler. So listeners, if you're taking notes in these podcasts, which I highly suggest, write down the following thing. For me to get my team to where they need to be, I need to start taking inventory of their skills and knowledge on a daily basis. Let me say that one more time. For me to be a great leader, I've got to start taking inventory of my team's skills and knowledge on a daily basis. That's our take on inventory. I'm sure in future episodes, we may actually dive into inventory of food. Seems to be a pretty big opportunity out there in the world. So, you know, if you've got questions about actual inventory or you've got questions about taking inventory, of your team's skills and knowledge, you know, shoot us a note, shoot us an email, send us something on Facebook because we'd love to answer your questions. Later on in this episode, we're going to answer a question that came from a listener and they're going to get a fabulous prize. And I know, Sam, we usually, you know, do the book review and then we mention the whole post the question, we'll give you the book. I think I want to throw a different change in this week. Because taking inventory isn't about telling someone, it's about asking. And you and I both post on social media about these podcasts. So here's my challenge. If you're listening to this and you see Sam's post or my post, respond in the comments with how you ask your team what they know. How do you take inventory? It's got to be with a question. So post your question. That way, it's not necessarily you're asking us about something we do. But I want to know how you ask that question of your team of what they know and what they're good at and what they like. I want to see how you do it. That's cool, Sam. I tell you what I really like about that is we can start to create a community of people helping people. It doesn't have to just be the Drew and Sam show all the time. Podcast has to be the Drew and Sam show all the time. However, there are only two of us and there are 19, 20 26,000 stores, however many stores, they're only growing, what, a store a minute, it seems. So 1 million stores, right? So if there's only two of us and we can only be at one store at one time, I think the community 
could probably move this faster than we can. All right. Good stuff, Drew. Again, gang, if you're out there, let's start taking inventory of our team members' skills and knowledge. And now, a word from yet another fabulous sponsor. Better than yesterday, consulting. Do you have opportunities that seem to always be opportunities? Day in and day out, week in and week out. Whether it's supervisors that work long hours for little tangible results, or leaders who are not motivated to the same goals that you have. At Better Than Yesterday Consulting, we offer solutions to your opportunities. Check out our suite of online supervisor courses, our in-person, in-store classes, or even our on-site consulting. We help and support you through your solutions. For more information, visit trainwithbty.com. That's trainwithbty.com. Or call Drew Helmholtz at 734-845-8147. Books, books, all the books I'll need, all the books, all the books I'll ever want. All right, welcome back to episode four. We're going to talk about the book 100 Percenters by Mark Murphy. This was Drew's choice. I found it a pretty darn good read. Drew, what made you choose this book? You know, Sam, when we review a book, we talk about where the book is. I have had this book for over a decade and it was collecting dust. It was on a shelf in in my cubicle at the building. I probably loaned it out twice. It had moved from my cubicle home and I may have forgotten about some of it. And yet as I'm rereading this book over the last week and a half, I realized how much of it I still remembered because it's in parts of my training. Now, there's the obvious part of the training and I'll, I'll let you mention that because it's like I completely steal from this other book of Mark Murphy's. Healing's not the right word. Borrow. I give him credit. Yeah, you do give him credit. But you know, the best trainers in the world don't really come up with anything new. They just find old stuff and repackage it, which is what we're pretty darn good at. Yeah. So to that point, a part that hit me really hard when we were in Indiana was the hard goals. I really liked that piece about the hard goals. And I'm not going to get into what the acronym stands for. I'm going to let our readers get in there and see it firsthand from Mark. Or if you're so inclined, you can have us come do a workshop and we'll be happy to show it to you there. But the hard goals were really, really impactful. And as you were going through that and talking about the hard goals. You know, I thought back over my career and there were there were two specific times where I had actually set a hard goal and not accomplishing those goals was just not an option. And at the time I set those goals, I didn't have the hard goals parameters. I didn't know what the acronym meant. I just knew there was something I want. And I wasn't going to let anything stop me from getting it. And I went out and thankfully on both of them, I was able to make it happen. Now, as I read the hard goals, it's like, dang, yeah, I did that. I did that. I did that. And then I got that. And as soon as you started talking about them in class in Indiana, I, you know, I immediately thought about those two things that I had set hard goals for. So that was, that was huge. Well, it's great for me, Sam, because we've taught goals for years, whether it's smack or the side of smart. And when I asked the, the participants to go and, and take a goal and rework it into hard to hear one of the participants go, I, I started to cry. I got so emotional just write, rewriting this goal. And that's the whole idea. Like when people lose the Super Bowl, they, they don't go, meh, it's okay. 
you watch millionaire grown men cry on the field because it meant so much to them. Oh my gosh, if some of our goals meant that much to us, how much more could we accomplish? You know, maybe we're not on the same page here. Maybe we are. I I guess we'll find out here in the next couple of minutes. But I think the old notion of smackable goals and smart goals is still important. Absolutely. I think the hard goals should be the long-term goals. And the smackable goals or the smart goals should be the things that lead you towards the hard goal. Does that make sense? Totally does, Sam. In my classes, I teach about being ahead or behind, not necessarily winning or losing. And if you have this long distance, year, two year, five year goal, that generally becomes that hard goal. Well, okay, now that I have that, what do I need to do today to start down that path? And I think it's a great combination. The best part for me about reading this book was coming across dog ears I'd left in the book a decade ago when I read it. One chapter, it's called Talented Terrors, about the people who do great things, but are just bad people. And it the chapter is 100% skills with 0% attitude. I don't know about you, Sam, but I think I have met people who fall into that category where you're like, man, that is the best idea I have ever heard. And you delivered it so poorly. I have to fundamentally disagree with you because I cannot, I cannot get to a place where I can agree with you because of the way you delivered that message. I think from our listeners point of view, there may be some team members working in our stores tonight that the leaders are justifying their behavior because of the number of hours they work or the number of pizzas they deliver. Well, Jeannie shows up on time every day and it's okay that she swears and cusses at customers because she shows up on time every day. You know, back to your sports analogy, you hear coaches in sports talk all the time about the importance of the chemistry in the locker room. And I think what these terrible terrors are really doing is just taking away your chemistry at all. They're just creating an atmosphere in your store where the people that are good just find themselves being quiet and just trying to get through the shift instead of doing the things they want to. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on the talented terrors. I just know that we have them and we as leaders have to make the conscious effort once we spot them and identify them to either coach and work with them or move on from them. I think the thing you should always do first is coach and work with them because we all know how hard it is to find good folks. So I think we owe it to ourselves. We owe it to our customers. We owe it to the brand to do all the coaching we can with these terrible terrors because some of them may have some upside with some better leadership styles. And for our listeners, when you get into the section of terrible terrors, take notes, start thinking about people in your store and start coming up with some specific strategies for your terrible terrors so that you can hopefully turn the tide and get them to be a much more valuable team member tomorrow than they were yesterday. Um, I don't know if phrases come to my mind, like make them better than yesterday. Better than yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Sam, I know the book is called hundred percenters and we're talking about the talented terrors, which are not actually the core of the book. The core of the book is getting folks to be a hundred percenter. So if I may listeners, our friend here, Mark Murphy, and I say our friend, cause I like a lot of what he does. He buckets people into four groups. And I'm going to give you the four groups because it's like right in the first chapter anyway. So I'm going to give you the four groups and I want you to think of one where you think you fall and two where you want to be. So I'm going to start with the easiest one that we can think of. And it's called the intimidator. These people lead through fear. Do what I tell you to do not because uh, you want to, but because I tell you to. I am the leader, therefore you must listen. If you don't do this, I'll fire you. You know those kind of folks. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you have the appeasers. They wanna be your friend. Everything's gonna be okay. As long as we all get along, 
things will be good. And you know those kind of leaders. You have folks that are in the middle. I honestly, right now, I can't remember what Mark calls them because I call them the ostriches, right? They are neither intimidators nor appeasers. They just ignore it. If I just allow Sam to be late every day, at some point, he'll just quit. It's okay. Yeah, they're the avoiders. Avoiders, thank you. I always just go right to ostrich. Like in my head, it's just your head's in the sand and I'm ignoring the problem because it'll go away. Drew, I'd like to say that I remembered that, but it's our crack research team behind the scenes that got us that information. That is spectacular. And then there's the hundred percenters. And the key with the hundred percenter is that they're fair and they're honest. Although this isn't a fable. And and if you've listened to podcasts, Sam and I like fables, Mark gives detailed instructions and scripts through the entire book on how to do everything. And he'll give you the description, he'll give you the script, and then he'll give you the, well, what if? For me, everything, performance appraisals, how to tell a story, everything is in here for you to find a way to adjust your leadership style to be the 100 percenter. And he gives you all the data on why you want to be a 100 percenter, including all the potholes and obstacles that may come with being a hundred percenter. Yeah. He does a really good job of explaining what he's talking about. And then he puts it into an example and then he wraps it up. I think the book is just terrific at going over some really important things to get the very best out of your team members. The thing I like the very, very best is that after reading the book, I feel like I've got some skills that I didn't have before, but more importantly, I've got some techniques to put those skills into action. I completely agree, Sam. And I know for me, I've taken pieces of this book through the years and just integrated it in. Like I said, it was amazing when I came across an earmark. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm doing that. One of them is about writing feedback down. And I know you saw it in class when we talk about debriefing a visit. For decades, a supervisor, it's district manager, area director, whatever the title is, they debrief the manager in charge. Generally, it's something verbal. If you took a class a couple of years ago, maybe it's a piece of paper you leave behind. Sam, in the class you saw, I teach, make it quick verbally, but then send a detailed email because I need to know exactly that we're on the same page. And that's fundamentally part of what's in this book with Mark is that it's about fully understanding that you and I are on the same page and that we're not allowing a gap. We're not beating around the bush. We're not sugarcoating something to make it easier or to make it nicer. We're being honest, we're being fair, and we're being forthright. Yeah, it's nice to see stuff in print from books that you're teaching. It kind of reinforces that we as coaches, we as developers of talent are on the right page. To that point, another part of the book talks about hiring for attitude. I think we've all heard it one time or another that we should hire the smile and train the skill. What else in the book hit you? Well, you know, Sam, after last week's book of 492 pages, I just want to let the listeners know that this book is 168 pages of content and then another 30 at the end of an appendix taking everything he talked about and boiling it down into shorter, smaller, one paragraph explanations. He explains the process, gives you the script, and then gives you an example. The appendix just gives you the script piece. The back 30 pages can get you so much further than where you might be today. Yeah, I really liked the way the book was laid out. thought the message spoke to all levels of Domino's Pizza folks. So with that, without me actually giving up exactly where I was at, Drew, for you, does this one end up just propping up a table? Is it somewhere on your shelf, probably collecting dust? Is it on your nightstand? Or are you carrying this one around and giving it to folks? It's in your backpack. 
I did such a disservice to this book to put it in my library and just leave it there. Like I said in the beginning, I had loaned this out a couple of times years ago and I just forgot about it. You know how life gets. This one's going in the backpack. I'm, I'm giving this one out because there's stuff in here that can benefit you even if you're the number one supervisor in your franchise, the number one GM in your state. There's stuff in here that can help you get a little bit better than yesterday. So it's going in the backpack. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's definitely not holding the table up. It was never in my library, even though it was in yours 10 years ago and we knew each other. So thanks for that. Hey, anytime I cannot share something with you, Sam, just let me know. I think this one for me is going to be on the night stand for quite some time. It's going to be on the nightstand because there's things in there that I teach. And I want to start giving Mark a little bit more credit to the things I teach so that people that are looking for a little deeper dive into the thoughts and processes that I'm teaching in workshops, they can go and read the book. But I like yours in your backpack for our readers out there. 100 Percenters by Mark Murphy. We're both giving it a huge thumbs up and you should read it. Absolutely. All right. So that's our book review for this episode. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. All right, for our movie fans out there, you recognize that, and it was Liam Neeson from the movie Taken. And that's our segment that I'm really excited about. We're going to talk about things that we have taken from the visits we've done in the past. So, Drew, why don't you tell us what you're going to take away from some of the store visits you've had. What's the one thing you saw that you realized somebody did have a particular set of skills? So Sam, for me, I talk about aces in their places a ton. And I'm a huge fan of aces in their places. And I've seen so many different posters and inserts in the red books. And I saw one in a store and the store is busy. Oh my gosh. And they don't have a flip chart. They don't, they don't have a poster on the wall for aces in their places. They use a dry erase marker and a stainless steel piece of their, like a, a reach and cooler. And they write down the person's name their first priority, their second priority, and then their side job. And everybody knows to go right to that. And it's easy to fill out. It's easy to read. And oh my gosh, everybody knows what their role is. So that's that's my taken. And I have shared that probably for months now once I saw it. So you're a believer that if a team member comes into the store and they know their primary responsibility, their secondary responsibility, and what any of their side work is, that they'll be more effective? Is that what I'm hearing you say? I am. And, and Sam, I know this is taken from the stores, but but may I digress for a second? I, I think our listeners would be disappointed if you didn't. I had the opportunity years ago to be in the Minnesota Timberwolves locker room. Myself and a couple other franchisees were being sold a deal for our DMA. And while I'm in the locker room, I'm sitting there, I'm looking in, and in the Minnesota Timberwolves locker room, there's a dry erase board that has a half court of a basketball on it and a C with a line an F with a line an F with a line, a G with a line and a G with a line. And for those of you that don't know basketball, there are five positions on the court, center, forward, forward, guard, and guard. These people make millions of dollars a year. And the coach has to tell them every day what position they're going to start in for that game. Our 17 year old insider makes a little more than minimum wage. And we may not tell them for weeks what their position is. I think we should totally tell them exactly what their role is, clarify for them, make our lives easier. So what I didn't hear you saying there is that this 
taken from the stores is going to cost the store a lot of money. You said they were doing it on a piece of stainless steel with a dry erase board. Yeah. Dry erase marker and a piece of stainless steel. And last time I checked, every store is stainless steel everywhere. The thing to do is to take inventory of your talent. Oh no, you, you've got to, you've got to know what they're good at. Oh no, Sam. So we've taken inventory. We know what they're good at and we start placing them where they're going to be the most effective. Wow. That sounds to me like a better customer experience in the end. And it might be better labor too. And your team might be happy because they know they're good at something and they're doing it. It's amazing how all these things start to work together for you. Sam, that's my taken from the stores. What is your specific set of skills? Well, not my specific set of skills. It was actually Jim Groneman. If you've ever had the opportunity to go into Jim's stores, Jim is just a master at coming up with ideas that every time I walk into his stores, and I've had the opportunity to do that many, many times, I never leave without taking six or seven pictures. So many good job aids. Yeah. Jim, props to you. For this particular segment, what I'm taking is he does something for onboarding his new team members that I think if you did this in your stores, it would bridge that gap of the that first day from going from, oh my gosh, I'm scared to, oh my gosh, I chose the right place to work. So the first day I walked in when we did the supervisor training, I noticed there were a bunch of Domino's carryout bags in the back and they all had names on them. And usually I'm, I'm pretty curious and I, I look through things, but for some reason I didn't look through them that day. And I just thought to myself, well, there's a big order later. They're just prepping the napkins, the cups, whatever. So the second day I went in and somebody came to the front and said, hey, I start tomorrow. And the manager in charge ran to the back and grabbed one of these bags and took it up to them and said, here you go. We'll see you tomorrow. Big smile on their face. So I'm like, what's in the bag? And I looked in the bag and Jim has made these pins that say, I'm new. So his new team members are wearing these pins that say, I'm new. Also in the bag was a brand new, never worn hat, a brand new, never worn shirt. There was a coupon for a free pizza and there was also a roadmap to what the possibilities were within Jim's organization. So people knew from day one what the progress could be for them. Sam, can I jump in here for a second? Yeah, please do. You're not giving that I'm new button enough credit. It's not a button. It's not a pin. We're not talking something that's an inch here. We're talking four or five inches around. I could see this on a person when I was in the lobby and they were halfway back in the store. It is very visible. I'm new. And I think some of our listeners might be thinking to themselves, you know, I, I place an I'm new button on a new team member and that makes a new team member feel like the outsider or the new guy. And I think there could be a small bit of truth to that. But depending on how you treat the I'm new button... What it can also be is a sign when they're taking carryout customers. And I saw when this person was dealing with carryout customers that the customers kind of stepped back, took a breath and understood that someone was training and they gave them a little bit more latitude. Is that going to work with every customer? Of course not. But heck, if it works with half of them, Think about the confidence you're going to instill in these new team members. So I was a huge fan of that. That's my take. In, and that is the particular set of skills that Jim Groneman and his team are using. So Jim, if you're listening, man, props to you. What a great idea. Really, really like it.
Today, we are joined by franchisee Anthony Satterwhite from Cleveland. Anthony, how are you? I'm doing well. How about you? Doing really well. And we're, of course, here with Drew from Better Than Yesterday Consulting. Drew, how the heck are you? Dude, I am awesome. Terrific. Anthony, you are on episode four of Drew and Sam Talk Training, and We've had the pleasure of interviewing several franchisees, and we always like to start with, just tell us about your journey. Where'd you start? What have you done? And what are you looking forward to? So I started with Domino's uh, back in 2004 when I was in college. Uh, Part-time job, just wanted to be a driver. And then I came in, kind of fell in love with this business, and I worked through the system, became an assistant manager, then I became a general manager, became a supervisor. Finally took an opportunity to franchise uh, four stores in 2017 in Mansfield, Ohio. Have been working that journey, and we added 11 stores here within the last four months and continue to look and grow. Hey, that sounds great. So how many stores today? Today we have 16 stores. And do you have an ultimate goal of how many stores you'd like to have? No ultimate goal, just as many stores as we can own and operate effectively and profitably. Wow, that sounds like something Jason Shiflett once told me. I asked him how many stores he wanted. And he said, as many as I can run efficiently. Inspiration, Mike. He's a good cat. Anthony, we've been here all week with you, training your supervisors, training your trainers. And a couple of times you've mentioned how you've gone to see other franchisees or see how other people have done things. Why is that important to you? I like to go and um, learn from other people. You know, we've been around for a long time. This brand has existed. And I try not to reinvent the wheel. I hear people doing things well. And I try to seek them out and go learn from what they've done and come back and apply that to what I'm doing. So what I think I hear you saying is even though you've had huge success, you still look outside of your own knowledge base to find folks that are doing things very well. Yes, it allows me to kind of shortcut the process a little bit by learning from their experiences and going ahead and skipping some of those steps that they already had. So why fail when somebody else failed first? Sounds about right. Nice. I like that. If I were a young manager today and I wanted to come work for Mile High Pizza, what would be the first thing you were looking for in me to join your team? So I say all the time, I like to look for raw. Somebody that's ready, A1 willing. You know, do they have the right attitude? Do they have the positive approach to the business? I can teach them the skills, but I really can't teach them the attitude that they need to be successful. So just to recap, you're looking for somebody that's raw, that was ready, able, and willing. Wow, I like yes. that. This is why I like being around people that have, have been around for a minute. I get to learn new things as well. That's that's pretty cool. So if I am raw, ready, able, and willing, uh, what does the path look like at Mile High Pizza for me to become a successful general manager? So someone that comes in and you work really, really hard, you're open to coaching, uh, open to training, you come in and you get results, uh, work through the process, it's really self-paced. So if you're willing to come and work really hard and put in the effort, you can kind of get to the front of the line as quick as possible because we're always looking for people to help push us forward. So if you're looking for people to help you push forward, you know, you said you just acquired a bunch of stores. For those folks that maybe don't fit the mold, what do you do to them to try to get them to actually fit the mold? Or at what point do you cut ties with them and decide it's time to move in another direction? As I've told before, you know, I kind of try to look and evaluate everybody based on where they are and come with an open mind. Sometimes people just haven't been put in the right situation. So with the situation we're in right now, I'm trying to give a lot of resources behind, make sure we give them the proper training and everything that they need to be uh, really good at this job. And then we can make an evaluation then because sometimes it's not just them, they just don't have the right tools to be successful. And once we've given them all the tools, we've worked with them, then we can make that decision. 
Yeah, I think that's really important. I know Drew was in some stores that this week with the supervisors that had previous owners, and I was in a store that had previous owners. And I saw that the team immediately knew that there had been a change in ownership simply because they were getting uniforms and stuff was getting fixed. So they, I think they felt like they were in a much better place. Uh, that's exactly what I saw. Speaking of that, this week with your supervisors, we'd asked you about goals. And a lot of franchisees have very similar goals, right? There's always cost control goals, service goals. You had one very interesting goal. Could you tell me about it? I'm just a happy team, sm- smiling, happy faces inside of the store. So, you know, if you got good people inside the store, it all comes down to people. You know, we look at this problem that we have today and we say, hey, how do we attack that? And we just start attacking it with people, but not from the bottom up. You know, we look for the right leaders in, in place. And once we get the right leader, we can keep working that problem down each level. So I spent the first 10 weeks with this store just looking to make sure we're top uh, level leadership. And then we look to have a GM in place. And then we're just going to keep building the team down from there. Because without a great GM in any store right now, it doesn't matter who we bring into the store. They're often not going to stick around. And people are a finite resource. They, they either like Domino's or they don't. And they come in and they say, Domino's is a horrible place to work. And quite frankly, it's not that Domino's is a horrible place to work. They just work at a store with a bad franchisee, a bad GM, some bad leadership. Yeah, there's a little bit of that out there. So I hear what you're saying about focusing on people and making sure that you've got the right folks. With that said, you know, you've got 16 stores. The doors have got to be open. Do you have 16 managers right now? Right now, we have 16 people that are going to run stores and we're going to work with those people to see if we have the 16 best people for them. My ultimate job is to make sure I put people in the right seat on the bus. And sometimes we got to move people around, but we give them an opportunity. So we're going to evaluate those people and see where they need to be and make a decision from there. So when it comes to something like an evaluation, is that something you guys have planned? Is that you doing it? Do you have support staff that would help you with that? So right now, working on part of building that team is I wanted to attack that with the big people focus. And so we've now added three supervisors for every area and then we supported all those people with a uh, training person for that area. So those people working together to build a plan and evaluation of those team members and communicating directly with them where they stand an opportunity to get better and working from there. So we've been in some stores this week, and this is no secret to you. There's some stores that just simply don't have enough players on the bench. But what I hear you saying is that you're focusing on building the infrastructure above the store first. Is that is that what I'm hearing? Yes. I mean, we can run some hiring ads. We can do all those things that will bring some bodies in today. But it inevitably comes a revolving door. They come in, they're here for a week, they're here for two weeks, and then they're gone and we're back to square one again. So I don't want to be fighting the same battle here in two years, three years, four years. So I want to make sure we have great leadership in each of our stores. And then we build around there and keep supporting people. I, I've kind of been at a bunch of different restaurants, a bunch of different uh, franchises. And you know, when you talk to people, the overwhelming answer you get of why they're still there, they got great training. And it comes down to uh, training and support and they had a great manager there. So I'm making sure that we're going to be able to do that here. Anthony, I'm a huge fan of training. As a corporate trainer previously and now on my own, what's some of the things you look for in your training program? So um, for me, the first thing I was looking for was somebody that just absolutely loved people. You know, they're, they're positive about people all the time. They, they're happy. They're excited. They just have to have a love for people. You know, someone that can do that. And then from there, we're just going to take the Domino's training manual just executed. I'm not about reinventing the wheel. We have a great training program, MVP, Management Development Program, that's now on Learning Hub. And we just got to be great at actually using the tools that Domino's provides to us. So, Anthony, when you talk about the tools, one of the things that I'm grateful for that you did was you 
purchased the big book of standards for everyone. Do you think that there's a gap in our team members today that they don't understand that either there are standards around everything or they don't know where to get them? You know, I think there's a gap, not just in team members, but like myself. You know, it's been a long time since I read the book of standards. So there's been some questions that come up. And all of a sudden, and you're like, oh, I think I know the answer. But that was an answer that was correct five years ago, six years ago, and the brands evolved since then. So the standards is just we got to refresh and keep them top of mind and really just kind of read them. You know, there's no, there's no substitute for opening the standards and just actually reading it. Yeah, I think that's really important. And gang, if you're listening now to the podcast and listening to this interview, those standards are all available on PineNet. You can go and you can download them and you can read them. If you're looking for something that's a little easier, in my humble opinion, you can also reach out to us and get a big book of standards that's been put together, bound, and you can have one of those. That was a nice plug for the big book of standards there, Sam. So, Anthony, you're kind enough to bring Drew and I in this week. You know, I worked with the trainers. Drew worked with the supervisors. What do you hope to get out of the training that you invested in this week? You know, I think the investment is for long term. You know, the results aren't going to be tangible or something you can measure you know, in a month or two months. But I hope to see, you know, we look at this 18 months down in a row, 24 months down in a row, we see a steady pattern of retention of people that have been here and people that are growing because we're providing them with a positive atmosphere and some support to develop along the way and giving them an avenue where they can grow their career in this uh, company. You keep saying support and develop. How important is that to you? Uh, it's hugely important. I've been telling my managers since I first bought the stores, your number one job as a manager of the store is to recruit, to develop, and to lead. It's not to make pieces, it's not to do anything else. We want to get our results and want to do that. And we can get them one of two ways. We can absolutely kill ourselves and work ourselves to death, or we can do the same amount of work and work with the people and work on building the business. So not just working in the business, but working on the business, which is your team. If you, if you develop them, you know, you'll be able to sustain those results. And where you do it yourself, you can't sustain them but for so long because your two hands can only do so much and then you often limit the potential of your store. That's right, because time is a finite resource and we can't buy time. So along those lines, and Anthony, what's the biggest obstacle you see coming and how do you plan or even think you're going to overcome? So the biggest obstacle I see for us is finding uh, people having the time to develop them You know, because we do have to operate the stores every single day. So there's going to be that time factor and then finding those people. So that's an obstacle. But I try not to spend a ton of time worrying about tomorrow's problems today. So I try to wake up, attack what we have on our plate, you know, with a little bit of vision in the future. But we have to do what we can today. Anthony, as the week went along, I heard you say a number of times to your folks, I don't need you coming to me with these small decisions. I've hired you because I trust you and I need you to see things that need to be done and get them done. How much do you really believe that? Do you want them to come to you or do you want them to be leaders? So I know if they come to me and they keep asking me questions and I got to give them answers, there's only going to be so much we're going to be able to do as a company because we all have the same amount of time and we don't need to all work on the same exact problem. You know, a book I read was The One Minute Manager Meets the Monkey. And so a thing I tell people all the time is that's not my monkey. You know, that's your problem. That's your area. Make a decision. So if you're about 80 to 85 percent sure of the right decision, Make the decision, make the call, live with the results, whether it's great or whether it's bad. You just own that, res- own that decision and we can adjust going forward. So let's say I'm a supervisor for you and I decide that this particular monkey is mine. I'm 85% sure of my decision. I make the call, I make the decision, and then it goes horribly south. Am I in the doghouse now? 
I'm going to come to you and I'm going to ask you, hey, why'd you make that decision? If you can tell me why you made that decision based on the facts that you knew at that time, then the decision is what it is. We can adjust the thinking around that decision. It's not the decision that really is a, is a certain factor. But if I come to you and you say, um, um, I don't know, then that's the problem, right? We made a decision without taking the data points and any of the facts in, in consideration. So what I hear you saying is you're looking for results and you're looking for results. And if they fail in trying to get that result, you're okay, as long as they can back up why they made that choice. Yes, 100%. I like that. So we're going to train them on the decision-making process, but not convict them for the wrong decision. No, just, you know, I told them, just don't, don't come blaming it on someone else. Don't complain that it went wrong. You don't defend your decision. You know, just understand we are where we are. The decision was made. Now we just got to move forward because that decision was made and it just doesn't matter to go and beat that dead horse over there. You know, let's find a way of getting better and move forward. I like that a lot. Let's switch gears just a little bit. A lot of our listeners are general managers and assistant managers. If you were a general manager out there and you wanted to become one of the 90% of domestic franchisees that started as an hourly team member, what would be your big three things to do as an hourly team member now that had the dream of someday owning their own Domino's pizza store? Uh, step one was I would state those intentions to somebody. Step two, I'd find somebody that was doing really well at this job. And then step three, I'd go and ask them to give me all their wisdom and advice and just start learning from them. Finding somebody that can mentor you along the way and that can show you the path is just huge. So along those lines, if I am finding somebody that can do it, but they don't pay as much as I need to get paid today. Do you think there's value in collecting your experience for your long-term goal or should you be chasing the dollar every opportunity you have? So I would say that, you know, you can probably get 50 cents, you can get a dollar here, but I don't know many people that have gotten far ahead by just jumping along. Most people kind of dig in, they find something they're good at, and they just give it 100% of their time and they work really, really hard at it. So I know, you know sometimes you're going to feel like you're not getting paid enough, you're not doing that, but there's going to come a point in time where you're going to make way more money, especially in this business, than you probably work for. I mean, it's just kind of build, developing and waiting your time and getting results and you know understanding that you're not going to go from A to B overnight. It's a process and the process is a process and you just kind of got to pay the price along the way. And make sure that, you know, you have so that you're working with someone that has your best interest in mind. You know, that's a that's a big thing. So if you can trust the person you're working with, if you're open and honest with that person, they're open and honest with you, then you're probably in for, I'd say, a good situation. Anthony, you'd mentioned going around to other franchisees to see how they do things. You'd mentioned just now advice to a GM would be to find a mentor. If you could meet yourself when you were a GM, what advice would you give yourself? If I could meet myself when I was a GM, I would say... You're not as good as you think you are. You're just not. And to kind of slow down a little bit and kind of be a little bit more open and really just think things through sometimes. Because sometimes I made a lot of decisions just going off the cuff and you can really, like I'm, do I'm doing now, ask questions and find somebody that's already done it. And that helps tremendously. Whereas just kind of working really hard and doing it, just kind of, you you'll get there. It takes you a lot longer though. So to build on that a little bit, when you say, Remember that you're not as good as you think you are. I think what I'm not hearing you saying is don't lose your self-confidence. But by the same token, don't be an arrogant, cocky son of a gun. Yes, that turns people off. You know, people don't like that. 
You know, so understand, I tell people all the time, things aren't good nor bad. They're just kind of the moment that you're in. And just keeping, keeping that in perspective. So, uh, it's never as good as you think it is, and it's never as bad as you think it is. So just keeping perspective of that and understanding, you know, you can do really well, but somebody's always doing better than you. So you've got mentors, you're, you're checking to see how things get better. You're really dealing with today, not thinking down the line. So I'm totally going to make you think down the line. Okay. 10 years from now, what do people know about Mile High Pizza? I would hope that in 10 years from now, they say that we did it really well, brought something different to the table and tried to, get to set the brand up and take a different approach to this business. And people can look at that and say, hey, you know, we don't have to worry about today's results. It's not about the fiscal responsibility today. You know, it's about the people and we do a great job of developing those people and building a people business then we're ultimately become people rich and the business becomes rich. And when you say rich, you're not necessarily talking about dollars and cents, are you? No. I mean, you know, the purpose of a business is to make money, but I would much rather have a business that's going to last 20, 30 years and have a great base of people that are pulling it forward and it's sustainable than have a million dollars today. All right. I got one last question for you. I know that you and your lovely wife, Kimberly, have got uh, three children now. When am I going to see the next generation of Satterwhite with a apron on slinging some pizzas? He, uh, my, my son Cameron always goes around. I said he's a Domino's pizza franchisee. So he'll walk around the house with an apron on and tries to be the boss. But anytime I told him he needs to come to work, he actually doesn't show up for any shifts. So, so just so our listeners know, Cameron isn't exactly driving age yet, is he? No, he's just three. Okay. He tells me he's grown up all the time. Well, Anthony, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. It's been a blast being here this week and working with your team. I can't wait to come back and do this again with you. It's been great having you guys here. It's been a great investment in the people. Uh, this week and I, my people so far, everybody I talked to, they've learned a bunch of stuff. They say your system opened their eyes. A couple of them have been doing this for quite a bit of time. They said, wow, this system I, I made me think about. It. I thought I really knew what I was doing. And now I'm like, I've been doing this completely out of the backwoods. Now I can go forward and be better. And then the trainers came in and they said, wow, I actually know how to actually go in and actually train somebody now versus just going in and pointing. Now I actually have a process when I go into the store. So I would say that the week's actually been pretty successful. We'll get out there and put the, uh, put the work in the field and come back with results and follow back over you guys and hopefully have you guys in, like I said, at least once a quarter here to circle back until we can develop our training uh, team and be self-sustaining. We're going to keep leaning on you guys to come back in and um, push it forward. Well, thanks a lot, man. We really appreciate it. Absolutely, we do. Thanks, Anthony. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. All right. In our last segment of episode four, we are going to actually answer a question. And this question comes from listener Zachary Harden. And Zachary writes, I think the biggest question on my mind is with the ever-changing landscape of our industry and with all of our competitors either closing or facing bankruptcy, how do we manage not only to take on these new challenges, but also be that reliable force to our community without sacrificing our ideas and principles? Wow. That is a very well thought out question. Drew, what do you think? I think that's a really deep question. I got to say it like we talked about hundred percenters today and we've talked about the hard goals piece and we've talked about systems and processes every episode, Sam, where I'm at is I know that the phrase is what got you here won't get you there, but that doesn't mean you change who you are. What got us to this point is, is that striving for that number one is that looking that 30 minutes isn't good enough. Hiring for a the smile, like you got to double down on the stuff that works. Use other brands and other industries 
I don't think you would look around and go, wow, you know, Chick-fil-A is doing really good. It's time for them to start doing full dine-in and offer steaks. They're not going to go and change. They're going to double down on what they do best. That's what we need to do. We need to get faster. We need to hire the best people. Yeah, I like where you're going with that. I think what has built Domino's Pizza over the last 60 plus years is an extreme focus on product, service, and image. And Zachary, to your question, what do we do when these places are closing down or facing bankruptcy and our business starts to explode? We've got to make sure that we ramp up our focus on product, service, and image. Not only is there the obvious opportunity of increased sales because of less players in the market, I think the other thing that I've seen people doing really, really well when places close is they're taking advantage of the increase in possible team members that are out there. So I've, I've seen franchisees will get yard signs and put them in the front yard of the closed down Pizza Hut that says we're hiring. I've seen them be as bold as put signs on the closed doors of Pizza Hut. Hey, did you come here for pizza? Call Domino's. Hey, did you come here thinking you were going to work? Call Domino's. I remember a couple of years ago where an entire franchise of Little Caesars closed in a market. The franchisee, and goodness gracious, I can't remember his name, actually got interviewed on the local TV station. And the interviewee said, what is the closing of all these Little Caesars going to do? And he says, well... I, you know, I think we're going to see sales go up. And then he looked right in the camera. He said, but more importantly, I want to talk to everybody that lost their job. If you're looking for a job, we're hiring and we would love for you to be on our team. So he took it from what's in it for us to how can we help our community? So Zachary, you know, to your question, how can we be a reliable force to our community without sacrificing our ideas and principles? I think we've got to look at our ideas and our principles, and we've got to strengthen them and fortify them and be that community member we've always been and put out a helping hand to those folks that have lost their job. By all means, don't hire them all. Every single team has got good players and bad players. And reverting back to our book, you know, Mark says, you got to make sure that you're hiring for attitude and you've got to have the good people. Your competitors had good folks. Find out who they were, get them on your team immediately and start to go. Drew, anything else to add to, to Zach's really, really good question? You know, as, as you're talking and as I'm thinking about it, there were times in my career as a GM where I ran really, really low volume stores. I had the opportunity, though, that I didn't start in that low volume store. I started in a store that had probably gosh, 20, 25 people on the payroll for my first store. Sure, when I was a GM in my second store and I had three on the payroll, I knew I needed to hire a team and I need to grow my team to grow my sales. For those of you that have never seen that big volume, and you're looking at those these closings going, oh my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to do it. You're right. You're not going to do it. You and your team are going to do it. Look to, to who you are and, and find, find the team that helps you grow. Not just people who are just like you, but people who fill in the gaps. It, it's right there in front of you for you to take. Find the team that'll help you. Going from low volume to high volume doesn't mean you do it with the people you have. You do it with the people you have plus another two stores worth of people. I, I, I can't stress enough. Like That's always the, the roadblock I hear of, oh my God, I can't even imagine a store that busy. Well, no, because you're thinking of it in terms of your four or five person staff or your 10 person staff instead of a 50 person staff. Use your team to help you grow. 
Zachary, again, thank you for the question, Drew. Just some really insightful answers there. Hopefully our listeners pick something up that they can use. Looking ahead a little bit, what's on your radar, Drew? Well, Sam, looking ahead, I have Learning Hub deployment in Midland, Texas, where we've uh, taken a hybrid approach from what uh, the corporation gives you in Learning Hub and added some custom training guides to help the team move faster. I also have two more better than yesterday systems coming coming down the pike, including one in Houston, Texas for Mac Pizza. I gave this one away. They donated to partners for this one and I love partners. So I'm more than happy to get to Houston, just one of my favorite places anyway. So I've got a couple trips coming up here. How about you, Sam? Well, speaking to the whole Learning Hub deployment, we've got a couple of clients that have reached out to us and we're collaborating on working on that. If you're listening to the podcast right now and you can hear the sound of my voice and you're thinking, man, I'd love to have Drew and or Sam help me with the Learning Hub. I want to let you know it's not cheap. We are not a discount service. Here. But what you've got to understand is that you're paying for the learning hub. And as one of my clients put it to me, he's got this shiny car that never gets out of the driveway because nobody knows how to drive it. The investment that you put into the services that we can get you to get your learning hub up and running and make it the useful tool that it can be are not cheap. They're just not, but there's value there. And if you're interested in us helping you out with that, you're going to get a guy in Drew that helped to develop the learning tracks for Team USA. You're going to get two guys that have got over 70 years of Domino's Pizza experience helping you get your team members up to speed quicker. And there's just huge value in that. So I'm looking forward to doing that with you. The other thing I've got coming that I'm really excited about is I I mentioned it a little bit in episode three, the Next Level Training Academy in Centralia, Illinois. Earlier when I talked about where I've been, we opened up the new store in Centralia. The old store is now actually in my possession and we've taken it over. So we're going to be doing some hands-on training in there. We're going to be doing some other things. And I'm really looking forward to that. So that's what's on my radar. And Sam, if that's your radar and we've done all of our segments, I think that's a wrap on episode four. I think it is. I think what I really like about what we did in episode four, we gave the listeners something that they could do right now to go out and make their stores a little bit better tomorrow than they were yesterday or to shorten that up to just make them better than yesterday. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you follow us on Facebook. Make sure you like the podcast, share it with your friends. Send us some questions. We are starting to put together episode five. Pretty excited about that. We've got a book that we are going to be reviewing. It's called The 2020 Workplace. And it is all about how innovative companies attract, develop, and keep tomorrow's employees today. And I think it's very timely. And the other thing I think you might like about it, Drew, is it was actually published after you got your CPTD. So we can get you a point towards keeping that certification. Heck yeah, I could use some points. You've been listening to Drew and Sam Talk Training. I'm Sam from Fowser Consulting. And I'm Drew from Better Than Yesterday Consulting. Where can they reach you, Sam? They can get me at sam at fowserconsulting.net or feel free to call me. My cell phone is 734-358-6295. And Drew, if I wanted to get a hold of you, what would I do? You can find me on Facebook or you can email me at drew at better than yesterday consulting.com. Don't forget the consulting part better than yesterday consulting.com. Or like Sam said, just call me 734 845 8150.
1-800-273-4747. Hey gang, thanks so much for listening once again. We want to remind you as always to go out there and sell more pizza. And have more fun. We'll see you for episode five soon. Bye.